Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see you this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 5. If you're turning there, mention uh, a couple of things uh, for you uh, real quick. One, you'll notice in your bulletin, uh, in two weeks from today, uh, we will be uh, having our annual uh, Christmas uh, meal. And so, um, give you a couple of things for that, because, uh, you know, two weeks out, you should, you got to start planning your food and uh, desserts and such. Uh, this is a, a pure potluck. What you bring is what we have uh, outside of drinks. So we'll get some drinks. But outside of that, if it comes from your house to the table, it's what's available. And so if you don't bring it, we don't eat it. Uh, so be thinking about that. So that means you've got it all, everything is open. Any opportunity of appetizer, uh, entree, dessert, all, all there available for you uh, to bring. And so uh, be thinking about that. Uh, we'll be eating uh, not long after the service, so it'll kind of be a little earlier uh, lunch, uh, normally around 11 or 11.15 is when we eat that. That will also be uh, the day of our fourth quarter business meeting. And because of how just upside down this year has been, um, the recommendation that we're going to to bring to you, and uh, it may come because of our bylaws, uh, and, and Jimmy Hips and I are, are kind of already working on this. Um, we may have to have you vote a couple different times on different things, but we want to make sure we cover that appropriately. Uh, but what we're going to do is just kind of ask that we maintain the status quo for the next six months. And so what we would do by that is just leave everything in place. All of our teams, many of which have, have not you know, met this year, um, our, our deacons and our budget, leave all of that in place just for the next six months until we feel like uh, we're back in a more normal routine where we can ask, say, a nominating committee to meet and, and, and do their role, uh, our deacons to meet and carry out some of their tasks. And so that's what we're going to be asking. Um, if you're on one of those committees, teams, deacons, and you just, you, you absolutely have got to be done on December 31st, um, then please let me know, and, and I'll remove you from the list. Uh, but if you can, we just ask that you keep serving uh, for the next six months to get us through. And uh, we feel like hopefully by spring, uh, we'll have the opportunity to kind of put everything in place. And uh, our budget is such that it can be amended if it needs to be amended before then. Um, and so that's what we're going to bring you. So normally we'd have multiple reports uh, during that business meeting. And uh, what we will probably have is just kind of one, uh, we will have that one recommendation. Again, it may take a couple votes uh, to make that happen, uh, but that'll be the one recommendation that you get uh, in that meeting. And so, and then we'll give some things about 2021. As you might imagine, any of our planning for 2021 will be cautionary, uh, realizing that you know maybe the world gets the vaccines and we're all, you know, COVID's behind us in summer, or everybody turns into zombies, or it's not effective. Who knows what's going to happen? And so uh, we're going to kind of roll with it, and, um, and yeah, we'll go with it from there. So, uh, so keep that in mind. Two weeks from today, at the end of the service, uh, we'll have that 
business meeting. It's been in your bulletin, uh, so that's kind of the printed announcement there uh, to make sure that you're aware of that. Uh, you'll notice we're going to have the Lord's Supper to open up the new year. I hope that you'll uh, be here on that first uh, Sunday uh, in the new year as we, uh, or that might be the second Sunday in the new year, whichever the date is there in your bulletin, uh, so that we can kind of celebrate the new year together uh, with the Lord's Supper service during that time. So Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, if you remember from last week, we looked at what is often a very disturbing portion of Acts, where Ananias and Sapphira are dishonest with the apostles and dishonest with the Lord. And because of their dishonesty, the Lord requires their life. And we read after that, though, that in the last verses we covered um, last Sunday, that many signs and wonders were done. There's, there's this contrast between Ananias and Sapphira, and then the apostles and the teaching that take place. This week we find the response of many of the religious leaders to this action, and that's what I want us to read together this morning, and I invite you, if you're able this morning, to stand with me in reverence to God's Word. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. We read, we read together, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the doors, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what, would come, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in the name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, 
Take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people with him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You may be seated. What is so upsetting to the high priest, to the Sadducees that are with him, to this entire council of the Senate of Israel, what is so upsetting to them that they have to have the apostles arrested, thrown into jail, even after they are exhorted not to mess with them by one of their own, they still end up abusing the apostles before they finally let them go. What is so upsetting? This morning, I want us to think about the idea and the reality of truth. Truth. It was that these men are preaching the truth. It was that these early disciples were living out the truth and proclaiming the truth that these religious leaders are so deeply upset and troubled by what is going on. In fact, in verse 17, we're, we're told that they are filled with jealousy because of what the apostles are doing. What the apostles are doing is proclaiming the truth. If you look at this passage and you go through, we see the idea of speaking or teaching or preaching over and over and over again. They're speaking to the people, we are told. They're told by the angel to go and, and to speak to the people and teach the people. They're accused by the religious leaders, the high priest in particular, that they were told not to teach in the name of Jesus, and yet they are teaching in the name of Jesus. Over and over again. They're told at the end of this passage, do not speak in the name of Jesus, and yet they do not, we're told in the last verse, they do not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. What are they so upset about? They're so upset about the truth. Because the truth does not fit their narrative. The truth does not fit what they want to hear. The truth of who Jesus is does not sit well with them. So this morning I want us to consider the truth as we think about it. The church is beginning. The church is taking off here in Acts. The church is undergirded. The church's foundation here 
is the truth. So what do we know? First, we see in verses 17 through 21 that truth is the enemy of wayward authority. Truth is the enemy of wayward authority. The high priest rose up, we see in verse 17, and all with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. That had been the problem they had with Jesus, and now it's the problem that they have here with the apostles. They are jealous. They are upset. The apostles present to them a a challenge to their authority. In Israel at the time, authority was was a a very tricky proposal. You had Rome on one hand that had supreme authority over all, but Rome had delegated out various parts of authority to different leaders. And, and for the high priests and the Sadducees, at this time, they're holding on to a little bit of authority. But the great concern for them is if, if something happens, if there's some type of disruption, they may very well lose all of their authority. In a moment, it could be taken away from them. They'll have to to deal with Rome. They'll have to deal with the oppression that they believe would come. And so when they hear the apostles' teaching, it's not in line with what they want to hear. It's a a radical notion because they're proposing that, that all of the people there, that all of the world, in fact, be dependent upon Jesus for their hope and salvation. If they're going to be dependent, and we understand this even in our day, if we're going to be dependent upon Jesus, it means we're not going to be dependent on other things. Both are necessarily true. And when you have here a totalitarian government that believes and preaches and teaches that you must be dependent upon them, to say then that we need to be dependent upon Christ that He is in charge, that He is above all, that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, it means then that we're also not going to be dependent upon somebody else. And this truth is the enemy of wayward authority. God had entrusted this priestly line with His Word. They were to stand before the people and proclaim it. They were to go before God on behalf of the people. And they had failed in their ministry. They had failed in their mission. And now God had raised up his son as high priest. And this was a direct challenge to their authority. So what does God do as they are thrown in prison? Verse 18, they're arrested, they're put in the public prison, but the Lord sends his angel, the prison doors are opened, and they are brought out. And what are they told to do? Go back and preach the truth. Verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. All the words of this life. They were to go and to proclaim this message to the people. And it would be a message that would cause them great discomfort at the hands of this wayward authority. But truth is always the enemy of wayward authority. Friends, we need to understand that this this is true across the spectrum. As the church continued to grow and they continued to proclaim truth, they continued to find themselves at odds with the governing authorities. And for 2,000 years, this has been the case. 
when Christ as our king is proclaimed. When we proclaim that we have no other king but Christ, it causes problems with people who want to be in charge. Because they believe that they are the best way. Those who are in charge, those who find themselves in charge, always believe that their way is best, even if it contradicts the truth. You and I need to understand the time in which we live. If we are going to proclaim truth, it is always going to be an enemy to wayward authorities. We look at our own time. Even if there was no coronavirus and we weren't talking about lockdowns and we weren't talking about uh, whether churches should be open or not open and how all of those things play out, we realize that even before this time, we were coming into increasing conflict with those who govern over us. Our society is clearly moving in one direction, moving away from biblical truth. And if we are going to stand upon the truth, that is going to increasingly mean that we are in conflict with those who are over us. Because as they continue to deny God's authority, if we will hold to God's authority, there is going to be conflict. And friends, that should not surprise us. It might disappoint us. It might give us pause and cause us concern. But it should not surprise us because that has always been the direction of the church the church, by its very nature, is a countercultural organization, a countercultural entity. We need to understand that truth is the enemy of wayward authority. We need to accept that. We need to pray for our governing authorities. The Bible tells us that we, too, we should submit to our governing authorities, but we need to understand that our stance on truth will be in conflict with any authority that does not submit itself to Christ. We need to also realize this can be true in the church. We have seen far too many times when there were those in the church who gained some type of authority and began to go in their own direction. What will happen? The truth will contradict them. The truth will be their enemy. Whether it is in society, culture, or the church, when authority is wayward, when authority is not submitting to the gospel, when authority is not submitting to Christ, truth will become its enemy. Second, we see that truth is perplexing to those who do not know Christ. Look what happens at the end of that verse, end of verse 21. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel. We get the idea here that they call together all possible leaders, anybody they can find. The problem is so big they want to pull together anyone they can. In fact, when we are introduced to the, the teacher, the rabbi named Gamaliel, in verse 34, he is a Pharisee. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't even like each other. They did not get along. And yet to them, the threat is so grave, they, they call together everyone. 
They sent the officials to the prison so that the apostles would be brought to them. Verse 22, when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. That's a problem. We put them in the prison, now they're not there. They say, we found the prison, verse 23, securely locked, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, what were they? They were greatly perplexed about them. How could this be? They're confused. How, how could these men not be where we put them? Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. They're confused. How is it? How is it that they could be loose? We put them in prison. The interesting thing is this, this incident here, when they're let out of prison, actually proves what is said later on. When Gamaliel, the, the rabbi, stands up and says, you know, if, if this is fake, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall. If this is fake, it's going to fail. If, if this is fake, they're not going to succeed. When he says that, we already know as the reader it's not fake. Why? Because they've already been let out of prison by God. The truth of what is going on is confronting these men in the face. If, if God was not in what was happening with the apostles, there's no way that they would be out of prison here. Because the, the prison is well guarded, the doors are still locked, the guards are still at their posts, and yet they have been freed from prison to go back and to preach and teach the truth. We understand it. As the reader, we see this is what God is doing. And, and this Gamaliel, he is simply acknowledging that this is what God is doing. But friends, the truth is perplexing to those who do not know Christ. They don't understand it. They, they can't grasp it. You know, Think about, we've, we've decorated the sanctuary here and we've got We've got this you know, manger scene that's behind us. And, you know, when we do manger scenes, we don't always go for the most accurate of, of all our depictions. You know, the wise men, yeah, they, they came later, and, and, you know, we understand that. But it makes for a nice picture. And it takes the whole story and it kind of combines it together for us. And we will read. The Christmas story, as we get closer to Christmas, you may read it together as a family. And if you are a Christian, you read it and it makes sense. Not a lot of questions. We understand that there are things there contained within that are miraculous and that's okay and good. That's what God does. But do you realize that this manger scene is perplexing to those who do not know Christ? They can't wrap their mind around it. They can't do an experiment that repeats it, and so therefore it must not be accurate. More perplexing still is what sits above the manger. 
how did God do what he did on the cross? I was watching a, a documentary that's uh, very good. It's extremely long. It probably could have been shorter, almost three hours, called American Gospel. And it, it talks about Jesus. And one of the things they talk about in, in there, they have kind of contrasting views. And a guy and, and several people there, in fact, talk about the, the substitutionary death that Jesus died on the cross. And these people, many of them who, who consider themselves to be Christians and, and even ministry leaders, they just simply can't wrap their mind around Jesus dying in their place. How, how does that work? How, how would that even affect anything? How would God accomplish anything through Jesus dying in my place? Friends, I want to tell you as I look at Scripture and I consider my own sin and understand God's holiness not only am I thankful that God sent his son to die in my place, but if you look at the Bible, you understand perfectly how it worked. God had always demanded that someone or something die for sin. It's because he's holy. And, and we don't even begin to understand the concept of holiness very well, especially when we just kind of throw it out there. And yet because God is holy and he, he will not and cannot allow sin into his presence, there has to be some type of sacrifice. Friends, that is truth, and yet that is perplexing to those who do not know Christ. They can't believe that somehow these men have gotten out of prison, and yet we read it and we understand God brought them out of prison because he has a work for them to do, and he sends them to do that work. We should not be surprised in the time in which we live that truth is perplexing to those who do not know Christ. Friends, when we talk about the believers in Christ say that marriage is between one man and one woman, First of all, that was not a radical concept until like three days ago, it seems. But it's what God has said in His Word. And yet, to the world, that has become perplexing. The Bible begins with this concept that God made them male and female, and somehow that has become perplexing. We say that, that, that Christ is our king and we have none other. And that has become perplexing. Friends, this should not surprise us. Because truth is perplexing to those who not, do not know Christ. When, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we understand that that is what God has said. That Christ is the only way to him. It's through his son. It's not through our works. It's not through some religion. It is through Christ. But friends, that is perplexing to people who do not know Christ. That is the nature of truth. When you do not know the truth, then when you are confronted with truth, you will be greatly confused. And that's exactly what these religious leaders are. So they bring in the apostles. They're confused about what's going on. They bring them in, and the high priest says to them, verse 28, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. By the way, church, wouldn't that be good to be said of the church today? 
that we filled Eichard with his teaching, that we filled Hickory with his teaching, that we filled Morganton with his teaching, that North Carolina was full of his teaching. We strictly charged you, but you have filled Jerusalem with his teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. He's talking about Jesus. You're, you're trying to make us responsible for killing Jesus. But Peter said this, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of your fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The third thing we see here is that truth takes priority over comfort. These guys had some guts. Remember, they have already been arrested before. They have already been told before, do not preach about Jesus. Do not teach about Jesus. Now they've been arrested. They spent part of the night in jail. And they still hadn't got the hint. They still haven't got a clue. They're still standing up and proclaiming the truth. Why? Because the truth takes priority over comfort. So they speak the truth. They share the good news here that God has exalted Jesus to his right hand, that God has offered repentance to Israel, that the Holy Spirit comes to those who obey Christ. They choose truth over comfort. It would have been easier because they didn't know what was going to happen, right? They end up getting beat. It would have been a lot easier to say, Oh, yeah, 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 sorry, we, we forgot. We forgot you said that, won't do it again. You know, sorry, sorry for wasting your time. Sorry for making you uncomfortable. Sorry for hurting your feelings. Sorry for stepping on your toes. We're really sorry, we won't do it again. Oh, no, wait, that's what most churches do now in the United States, not then, sorry. No, they proclaim the truth. They choose the truth over the comfort that comes. Friends, they're not worried about what's going to happen. They're, they're not worried about what the consequences are going to be if they speak the truth again. In fact, they could have said nothing here. And we strictly charge you not to teach in the name, and yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, Sorry. Or Peter and the apostles refuse to answer. No, they say, no, no, no. You know, you're not the authority. God is the authority. We're going to proclaim what is true. Truth takes priority over comfort. Friends, this is a hard lesson that the church must learn in 2020. If we are going to side with truth, it is going to make things very uncomfortable. You say, well, that, that couldn't happen here. It, it, couldn't, it couldn't happen here. Andrew was praying, thanking God for the freedom that we have to gather this morning. And what a great freedom it is. But it's a freedom that can go away very quickly. You say, it couldn't happen here. Yet, it's not just in, in third world countries where it happens. It's not just in Muslim-dominated countries where it happens. 
Friends, it's in places like Canada. It's in places like the United Kingdom where pastors and churches are being persecuted for the truth. Friends, that's not that far away. I don't know if you know this or not, but Canada is just across the border. It's happening in Europe, and they often say that we're about a generation behind when it comes to secularization. And they've been secular for a long time now in Europe. We're having to send missionaries to the places that used to send missionaries out. We're having to send missionaries to places in Germany, Austria, France. Why? Places, places that used to be the center of the church. Why? Because they forgot Christ. They fell in love with a secular culture and forgot Jesus. And so now missionaries are having to go from here to there. Well, guess what? It's not going to be very long until they begin sending missionaries from Africa and Asia here to the United States, from Central and South America here to the United States, because we've forgotten the truth. Truth always takes priority over comfort. When you look at your life, is that going to be the case? Are you going to simply just give in? Give in to, to whatever the society says, give in to whatever our culture says, because, you know, it's easier to do that. It protects what you have. It protects work. Truth has to take priority over comfort. Next, we see that, that truth prevails against all lies. Verse 33, when they heard this, so this is the religious leaders. When the religious leaders hear this, they are enraged. And while it's not clear whether or not they would have had the legal authority to kill them, that's exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted them to die because they did not want to hear the truth. And yet, there was a man, one man in the room, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. He stood up and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Now, this man, this is an important man in, in all the history of Israel. An important rabbi, one who had taught a man we would later know as the Apostle Paul. A great religious leader, a man of the law. And he brings up a good point. He says, listen, this has happened before. Verse 36, a man named Thutis rose up, and he claimed that he was somebody. I love that expression there. He, he claimed to be somebody, but it turned out he was a nobody. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and nothing happened. Then another guy named Judas, the Galilean, he had rose up, and, and he acted like he was somebody. In fact, as we look at this, it's around the same time that Jesus was born. This Judas the Galilean, he rose up and he drew some people after him. But he perished. They were scattered. And nothing happened. He says, so if these men are true, or rather if these men are false, guess what? They'll fail. If these men are false... The undertaking, the plan that they have, it will fail. But, he says in verse 39, if they are from God, if they are the truth, if they are true, if what they're saying is true, you will not be able to overthrow them. In fact, you might even be found opposing God. 
Friends, here's the reality about the truth. It prevails against all lies. We have two incidents here, and there were more in Israel's history where men rose up claiming to be somebody, and those movements all failed. Their leader was killed, they were dispersed, and nothing came of it. He says, but if these men are real, if these men are real, nothing you can do can stop them. If they're false, they're going to fail anyways, and we don't need to have further bloodshed. We don't need to do anything else. But if they are real, it doesn't matter if we take them all out and kill them. Their truth will prevail. Friends, that's the reality of truth. It prevails against all lies, any and all lies. Any and all lies. How do we see that in our current culture? We've had the, the rise of the, the so-called transgender movement where people say that they're not the gender that they were born with. And this has become a, an accepted and promoted part of our culture. What is the problem? What is it immediately done? And something we're going to see very dramatically next year, most likely. You begin to see men who are biological men, they have the, the bone structure of men, the muscle mass of men, claiming that they are women, and then wanting to compete against women. Not in, in something academic where people are equal, but in something in physical where men are just simply bigger and stronger. Overall, and average, some of you women in here could kick my rear end. I understand that. But, but an average spread out says that men are larger than women, faster than women, that sort of thing. And what will it do? It will immediately create something that is unfair toward women in athletics. Because a guy who says that he's a woman, but he's, you know, 6'8", six, six, 250 pounds, playing basketball is not going to be fair. What do we know? We know the Bible says that God created them male and female. And he made us both equal. He made us both in his image, but he made us both very different. And our culture and our society says that there are no differences, which obviously if your eyesight is of any good, you understand there are. But our society has told us there are no differences. And friends, that is a lie. And what we're finding when we begin to say that, that everything is equal and there are no differences, and then we begin to put people against each other on, say, a field of sports, we find out that they're not equal. We knew that already. I knew that already. You knew that already. The, hum the humans for all of history have known that already. But the truth is going to prevail over that lie. And it doesn't mean that culture won't go kicking and screaming against it. Because our culture hates to be wrong. Society hates to be wrong. But we know that truth will prevail over the lie. It's one example of so many. Women for generations have been told if they have an abortion, it, it'll have no effect on them. And yet, the effects are devastating. The emotional and psychological effects are devastating. And they do not get close to the offset by some promise of, of economic security or freedom or whatever it is. 
truth, truth always prevails against all lies. And it may take time, but we remember that if we go back to the book of Genesis, we see that first lie that, that the serpent tells Adam and Eve, a lie of deception, a, a lie that encourages them to sin. And yet we understand that, that each and every day, you and I, we see the consequences of that lie. We feel the consequences of that lie. And we know that the truth prevails. We know that we are not better off because Adam and Eve sinned. We, we know that we're not more like God because Adam and Eve sinned. And so the truth constantly prevails over that lie. And we know one day the truth will return because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he will prevail over all lies. That's why we must be people of truth, not worried about the comfort but knowing that, that we live in a world full of lies and there are very few that will proclaim the truth. And we must do so because it will prevail. Finally, we see that the truth allows for rejoicing in, midst, in the midst of suffering. Truth allows for rejoicing in the midst of suffering. They want to kill him, but he says, listen, if it's true, it's going to succeed no matter what we do. If it's a lie, it's going to fail. So what do they do? End of verse 39. So they took his advice. They took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them. You notice that his advice was, don't kill them, but a, a good beating is okay. They took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And what do we find? We find the, the apostles go back to the upper room and they cower in fear like they did at the end of John's gospel. No. They left the presence of the council. Verse 41. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's what they took away from all of that. It's not a discussion, man, if we had just kept quiet, it wouldn't have been so bad for us. It's not a discussion, okay, how do we rebrand our ministry to, to be more conducive to the culture? How, how, do we, how do we change what we're doing so that, that the people, who the lost pagans and these Jewish officials, so they will like us more and we'll have a more popular ministry? Nope. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they had been so effective in sharing the truth that it got them a good beating. I wonder this morning if if any of us live worthy of getting a good beating for Jesus. You say, well, preacher, I, 
I already have enough trouble getting out of bed in the mornings. Taking a good beating probably wouldn't help very much. Do people know enough about where we stand when it comes to truth that we would be candidates to suffer the dishonor for the name of Jesus? Because we, we are coming closer to living in this situation. And I hope that when it gets there, if any one of you comes to me and says, Preacher, I didn't see this one coming. I'm going to turn you in myself. Actually, you won't even be worthy to turn in. It's coming. And you'll notice, I've been here eight years. We didn't start out by talking about this is coming. Things are changing rapidly. There are people that went to their church building this morning and it was shut down. The government told them not to gather. And you say, well, it's just COVID, preacher. It's not just COVID, preacher. We have a message that is against the culture in which we are living. And we might get away with this message in Burke County, North Carolina now. But that's changing. And if you're going to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you must be ready to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. But what we need to realize is that because we have the truth, the truth that has set us free, the truth allows us to rejoice even in the midst of suffering dishonor. Even if difficulty is coming, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in what is ahead of us because we have the truth, the truth which has made us free. And here's what these apostles knew. They were walking out of that council. And all of those great men in that council, the great religious leaders of Israel, those who, who proclaimed or supposedly proclaimed God's word to the people, none of them knew the truth. In fact, they had taken the truth and they had nailed him to a cross. But these apostles, these lowly men, the fishermen and the tax collectors, they had the Spirit of God within them because they had obeyed Jesus. They had had forgiveness of their sin. They had seen the exalted Savior, and the Spirit of God dwelled within them. And so as lowly as they were, the ones leaving with broken noses and bloodied lips and bruised ribs, they were leaving with joy because they had the truth. So this is my challenge to you this morning. Speak the truth. Be people of the truth. Don't mess with all this hogwash going on around us. This garbage that's put out on the news and in our culture. And I don't care if it's from the left or from the right. Friends, we do not peddle in lies as believers. We are people of the truth. And if you can't bring yourself to be a person of the truth, you need to check your heart and see if you are a person who is indwelled by the Spirit of God through the, the cross of Christ. 
Because, friends, when the, the cross of Christ, when you, when you can look at the manger and you see this beautiful picture of God sending His Son, and then you see the cross in this beautiful picture of God, because of His holiness and goodness, giving His Son that His death would set us free. Friends, if you can't see that, if you would rather peddle in the lies of the world, you need to check your heart and see if you know Christ. It is going to be difficult. For some of you, it already is. Some of you are public school teachers, and you are confronted by these things every single day. They are not things that are happening just in Charlotte and in Raleigh. They are things that are happening at your school. And you are expected to pat people on the back and tell them that their poor decisions that will lead them to hell are just okay. Some of you work in businesses, and you've got people that work with you who are living in sin, sin that will take them to a place called hell, separated from the holiness and presence of God forever. And you're told to just affirm it and clap for it and come to the party that celebrates it. But here's what the challenge is in the ways that you can and the opportunities that God gives you speak the truth we see here they were released from prison so they could do what go back home right no so they could go and speak to the people all the words of life guess what it's not going to be very long from now in the book of Acts the Apostle Paul will be in prison and what does he do in prison he speaks the truth Speaking the truth got him in prison, and once he gets there, he continues to proclaim the truth, and people in prison get saved because he's there proclaiming the truth. We are called, no matter what happens, no matter what comes about, that we speak the truth to a world that desperately needs it. Because we will frequently look at this and say, okay, if we speak the truth, what are the consequences going to be for us? But think about it this morning. If you don't speak the truth, what is going to be the consequences for everyone else? The consequences for us are irrelevant. We can rejoice in the midst of suffering. If we live in this life, it's Christ. If we die, it's gain. But friends, what happens if we don't speak the truth? What's going to happen to Eichard if First Baptist Church is not speaking the truth? What's going to happen to Burke County if our Baptist churches here are not speaking the truth? What's going to happen? They're going to die without Christ. They're going to go to a place called hell. And they're never going to know the love and presence of the Savior. We have been called to speak the truth. To speak the truth despite any consequences, to, to speak the truth to a, a world that is increasingly perplexed that we could even hold on to this, this old-fashioned, old-time religion that we have. We're called to speak the truth in a church, in a church age that is increasingly desirous of comfort over truth. And so I challenge you with this, speak the truth and rejoice rejoice if you're worthy to suffer dishonor let's pray together
Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and caring for us. We thank you that, that we belong to you. God, we're thankful that we have the truth. God, let us never dismiss it. Let us never take that for granted. Let us never grow comfortable. But God, rather let us be clear. God, we need you. We need you alone. God, I just ask that each one of us would be bold in sharing the truth. Even when it's difficult, even when it's unpopular, God, let us just be people of the truth. God, I pray that you would lead and guide us, that you would help us to follow you faithfully. God, let us rest in the knowledge that truth dismisses and overcomes all lies. God, I just pray that, that we would find great grace and knowing that you and you alone are King of kings and Lord of lords. And so I pray that you would help us to speak the truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we get ready to sing this final song. And I just want to invite you to come. Maybe you need to, to come to the, the front here and pray. Maybe you need to come and pray where you are, wherever it is. But, but just pray that God would help you even today to be a person that speaks the truth. Friends, that is diminishing quickly. It's diminishing across churches. It's diminishing across denominations. It's, it's just diminishing. People don't care about the truth anymore. They, they want to placate the culture. They want, they want everybody to like them. They want to be trendy and cool. And Friends, none of that matters to God. What matters is that these these weary men who he had called to himself out of various professions and from different backgrounds that they stood together Peter and the apostles and they proclaimed what was true no doubt if we think about them all of these religious leaders would have been dressed nice and they would have been gathered in their robes and here are the men that had spent most of the night in prison and yet they were the ones who God used to change the world Friends, would you pray this morning? Would you pray that in His way, in His timing, that He would use you to speak truth to people that need to hear it? Because what we know about the people that sin boldly, that, that love their sin and rest in it, is that they're inside they're empty and desperate. And we know the one who can change them. We know the one that can heal their heart. So would you pray that God would help you to speak truth as we sing this song? the place where you promised to
I want to thank you for coming to worship uh, with us this morning and uh, just to pray that as you go, uh, the Lord would bless you and keep you, that he would give you boldness like we've read that the early church uh, prayed for and that we be people of the truth. You know, if you notice the apostles, they're not ugly about it. They're not demeaning to anyone about it, but they're clear. They're clear about what they believe and they're clear about what is true. And God has called us to do the same. I want to pray for us, and we're going to be dismissed. I hope you all have a blessed week, and we look forward to worshiping with you next Sunday. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your truth, your love toward us. We pray that as we go, we would be obedient to your word, obedient to your truth. We would be bold. God, we would have compassion toward those who are far from you, and we would share with them how they can know you, how their life can be changed how they can experience freedom. We know it only comes through you. And God, we just pray. We pray that we will be clear as we share the gospel with a world lost and dying. God, thank you for allowing us to gather and worship. God, I pray, pray we'd never take that for granted. 
and we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, lead and guide us as we go, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.